Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Kia ora. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Richard Wayne. In the program this week, basketball champions the New Zealand Breakers hit their new home track for the first time in front of a record crowd. Venus Williams signs up for January's Auckland Tennis Classic and one of our top cyclists inks a deal with a new super pro tour team. But first up, something quite rare happened last weekend, which I'm sure you're well aware of. There it is, 80 minutes is out. Yes, the All Blacks did, of course, win the World Cup last weekend. Well done, boys. And our reporters were there, including Murray Williams. Murray ran into a former Australian lock outside Eden Park afterwards. Peter Fitzsimons is one of only two Wallabies to be ever sent from the field against the All Blacks, in his case in a Bledisloe Cup match back in 1990. He's an author and a sports columnist, and he enjoyed the sterling French response to the Harker on Sunday and the mounting tension in the match that followed. But Fitzsimons isn't as impressed with other aspects of how the game's often played now. I thought it was a terrific game worthy of a, worthy of a World Cup final. And, um, you know, I was, I was one person that thought the French were going to be absolutely stomped on. I thought they'd lose by 30 or 40 points. And I'll tell you what, from the opening, from the Harka, when the French stood up to them, my opening line on my column, Ozam, Citoyen, Formeval, Bataillon. They, they linked arms, they formed their battalions, they answered the challenge and they went at it from the first and they played fantastically, the French. I mean, full marks to the French. And I don't, I think rugby deserved, rugby needed what it got there in that final. It needed the All Blacks to win. They were the best team, but you needed France to rise to the occasion. Now, if the All Blacks had won that by 40 points... There would have been a sort of a, you know, a feeling in the air of, oh, well, they're up against that opposition. As it was, they fought for their very lives, the All Blacks, and they were worthy winners and good luck to them. And France can return to Paris really saying, well, we've done it again. We, we've, you know, in the words of Muhammad Ali, are going to shock the world. Well, France shocked the world of rugby by being, being com- more than competitive. I mean, in some ways, they're unlucky not to, not, not to slot a drop goal or a field goal, a uh, penalty goal or something. They could have won that game. But the rightful winners were the All Blacks. They deserved to win it, and they probably deserved to win it by a single point, and they did. I was watching Terry Dusatois when they were singing the Marseille, and he looked very determined. And when they put that arrowhead formation up against the, against the Harker, I kind of thought, this is going to be a very interesting game, and that's the way it turned out. The funny yeah. thing is that opening try by Tony Woodcock, I still can't quite work out what happened there. It was like he was, like, it was, like he was Moses, and the, the sea parted before him, and he went over for what was a fairly soft or easy try and that was the only try that the All Blacks scored which was amazing whereas the uh, the French try was an absolute pearler. And they put on more pressure in the second half and the All Blacks made some fairly elementary mistakes well, with a, a fly kick 
a hex kick that went to someone and a pass the prob- that went nowhere. The problem all we punters had, we all said, and I was one of them, saying, look, the French are just playing terribly. They, they don't deserve to be in the final and they're going to get thumped by 40 points. What we all forgot was that every World Cup, France has one fantastic performance in them. And what we forgot was, we haven't seen it yet. Well, there's only one match left. We're probably going to see it this match. And they did it. They delivered. Yeah, Will Carling was was uh, saying that it was all a, a dastardly plot and that they were just coming together just for this one game. They didn't care <laughs> what happened with all the others. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a lovely theory, but uh, you don't lose two poor no, games in doing that. I, I don't think they planned to beat Wales by a single point. I don't think that was part of their plan that they hatched back in Paris. Or, or lose to Tonga. Indeed. But as, as, a, as a spectacle, though, what have you made of the, the tournament as, as a whole? It was much better than the 2007 tournament, but there are still problems with rugby. The problem is there are too many collapsed scrums. There are too many, you know, halfback picking the ball up and being seeing a green wall or a red wall or a black wall. Too many players on the fields in some way. There really are. I mean, at the moment, you... I'm sick of seeing forwards take the ball up six inches at a time, recycling it for another forward to take it another six inches. I can tell you what, I don't know how it is in New Zealand, but in Australia, rugby's in a fight for its life up against rugby league, AFL and soccer, and you're not going to get spectators through the through the turnstiles on something like that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see collapsed scrums. I want to see what I saw tonight, the ball being pushed wide, run hard, great tackles and keep going. That's Peter Fitzsimons talking to Murray Williams. And this is Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Richard Wayne. Now to the aftermath of the World Cup. And on the back of that victory, the New Zealand Rugby Union has started the search for a new head coach. The NZRU sent letters detailing the selection process and application criteria to about 20 prospective candidates. With Graham Henry all but confirming he won't reapply and Wayne Smith heading to the Chiefs for the next Super Rugby season, Steve Hansen is the only one of the current coaches who will be in the mix. The new coach will be announced a week before Christmas. Radio NZ Sports' Joe Porter spoke to the NZRU boss, Steve Chu, about the selection process. We made it very clear uh, many, many months ago that we would run a, a competitive and fully transparent process post-Rugby World Cup regardless of the results and that process will now get underway uh, in earnest. So um, we're hoping to have that completed by Christmas. And have you sent out 20-odd letters to potential candidates, is that right? Yeah, well, I haven't gone already. They'll be going uh, very shortly. We've got a criteria, uh, we've got a policy and we've written everybody who we think uh, meets both those things and the process will be explained and they'll be invited to apply if they so desire. And that involves having uh, coached in New Zealand for the past three years, is that right? Yeah, uh, it, it, it involves having coached, uh, be currently coaching in New Zealand, or if you've coached for three years, then the eligibility survives for five. But what we're trying to do is find a balance between the need to have the best coaches in this country, but also the fact that coaching offshore is not a bad thing to fill out your experience and understanding of what it takes to be the best in the world, which is what we're looking for. Have you set aside a time to sit down with Graham and discuss his future? Uh, yes, we have, and, and you know, we've been talking to Graham for a long, long time, and he's been on our books, if you like, for the last eight years, so there's been plenty of opportunity for that, and I'm sure Graham will share with everybody shortly what he intends to do. You haven't sat down and had any formal discussions with him at this point? Yeah, no, look, we, we've been entirely focused on this World Cup campaign for most of this year, and delighted that we're now sitting here with the success we've enjoyed, and we'll bask in that for a, for a brief period of time and move on next week. To have a list or a potential list of up to up to 20 candidates that you consider eligible and, and potentially, uh, I don't know, have the ability to coach the All Blacks, it must be quite pleasing to have that many people that you consider you know, up to the job or potentially up to the job. Oh, yeah, look, this country does a great job in developing coaches right through from our young kids playing river rugby to the All Blacks. It's not surprising in the end that we had three of the four teams in the semi-finals of this World Cup who were New Zealanders.
would you be prepared, should the uh, situation arise, to buy out the contract of someone who's engaged elsewhere? Uh, well, it's not something we've discussed uh, with our board uh, at this stage. I think we're, we're confident that we'll find the appropriate person without having to get involved in those kind of um, uh, untidy <laughs> situations. So what happens now? The potential candidates receive this, uh, the information with regards to what they need to do in, in terms of the application. Interviews, when does that process start? Well, as I say, if the letters haven't gone already, they'll go the next day or two. <clears throat> We've got a timeline. I don't have it in front of me, sorry, but we have a timeline that ends at an appointment the week before Christmas. So we'll obviously get applications. There's a subcommittee of the board that's been formed that will shortlist those applicants. Interviews will take place. Um, the final one or two applicants will be in front of the full board. And as we did last time, we'll, we'll uh, give them a, a pretty thorough uh, grilling and, and the right person will be chosen and then we'll announce it. When the uh, interviews happen, who will be conducting those interviews? Will it be a panel of sorts? Obviously, the full board gets it when it comes down to the crunch, but before that point? Uh, yeah, look, we've got, a, we've got a subcommittee of the board, but the full board will make the ultimate decision. So we would anticipate that at least one candidate, and possibly two, would go in front of the full board to, to make the final decision. It's one of their key accountabilities. Who's on that subcommittee? Mike Eagle, our chairman, Graham Murray and Graham Cooney are the, are the directors. Our high-performance director, Don Tricker, and myself will sit on that subcommittee. Obviously, you guys feel confident that uh, you, you know you're going to have a, a quality caliber coach that will be able to replace such um, an impressive team that has been working with you guys for you know the last few years. Yeah, and obviously one of those um, one of the current team is, is eligible and, and will no doubt be a candidate. So that's very pleasing. And does that mean that Graham Henry is not? Oh, as I said, look, well, Graham will make his announcements uh, in due course. He's just taking uh, you know time to enjoy what he's, what's been achieved and. Um, I'll leave him to, to confirm what he's going to do in the future. I guess it's um, quite of an exciting time, just on the back of the World Cup, and now you've got a chance to look to the future. It's all happened quickly, but very exciting. Yeah, no, look, we're all delighted. I think, uh, obviously, I think the whole country's breathed a huge sigh of relief, and probably now what's been achieved is starting to sink in. Certainly, I was with the team yesterday, uh, and, and talking to them individually, they're all they're all slowly understanding what they've achieved and what that means for them and their futures, and we can all be very proud of them. I think. Just before I let you go, it would be remiss if I didn't ask. I'm not sure if you have seen the footage on Reunion about the eye gouging. Any any future action because of that footage that's come out? No, look, I haven't, I haven't actually seen the footage. From um, I, I spoke to Richie last night after that. He's, he's actually, you know, obviously disappointed if, if, if it was deliberate. Certainly he, he knows he got a poke in the eye, but that often happens in a game of footy. There's a process that needs to run, which I think probably now has done its course, and that'll be it from our point of view. We're not going to create a fuss about it, but... That player will be judged by his peers if, if he delivered the eye gouge. Like you say, you've, you've won the World Cup. That's the most important thing here. You, you wouldn't be disappointed, though, if he if he was allowed to keep playing, considering it could carry up to a six-month ban if he had been found guilty. Well, as I say, you know, there is a process and, and the timelines and, and uh, so forth are, are, are contained in that process, and they are there for a good reason. So we'll live with that. Yeah, I think you can live with it more than happily where you've got that William Webb Ellis tucked away. So congratulations, Steve, first and foremost, and thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you very much. And can I also just thank all the listeners who have played their part in this World Cup. It's not just what the team's done, but I think the country has much to be proud of, and I'd just like to thank everybody for that. The NZRU's Steve Chu speaking to our Joe Porter. This is Extra Time. The champion New Zealand Breakers play their first home game of the Australian National Basketball League season on Friday night in front of the biggest ever local crowd for a basketball game at Auckland's Victor Arena. More than 6,000 tickets were sold for the clash with the Sydney Kings by the time this program was recorded. The 8,000-seat Central City venue has about twice the capacity of the team's usual home, the North Shore Events Centre. When Murray Williams talked with the Breakers veteran defender Dylan Boucher, it was just days since the Rugby World Cup wound up. While he was worried the rugby tournament's popularity might mean fewer people at their home games, 
he now thinks it could have a positive effect this season. And Dylan Boucher says that while the Victor Arena is a lot bigger than the event centre, it's an exciting venue. It makes you feel like a real professional team when you play in a setup like this. And if we can uh, you know, get a few bums on seats like they're talking about, then that's going to be a very good atmosphere in here. And uh, you know they've got a, a big challenge ahead of them trying to match what the North Shore Event Centre crowd does. So uh, we're looking forward to them uh, matching that challenge. Are you surprised by the level of interest given the, the, the fact that it's only less than a week since the Rugby World Cup ended and that you would thought perhaps that people would be a bit... Uh sported out and, and uh, have empty wallets? Yeah, um, to a certain degree, yeah. I mean, I was uh, a little bit worried, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, I think now the Rugby World Cup's well and truly over, the parades are over. I think people are now, you know, looking to, you know, I think people are on a bit of a high. So I think hopefully we can catch those people that are on a high and, and want to see New Zealand sporting teams do well. And most of New Zealand know we had a lot of success last season and want to come out and support us this season. So hopefully we have a pretty good crowd in here. Now, Sydney, you had a huge win over there last time and, and Mika was saying that they came out later and apologised to the fans for the way they'd played and certainly made a bit of a difference. They had a win last weekend. You guys had that narrow loss. So what are you expecting them to bring tomorrow night? Well, they'll be a totally different team. I mean, we jumped them over in Sydney and, uh, and caught them by surprise, I think, and got them on the back foot early and, uh, you know, we really gave them a good hiding there. And um, like Mika said, they did apologise to their fans and, uh, you know, they, they promised they would never play like that for the rest of the season. So they'll be coming over here trying to make amends for that and, it's up to us to make sure we get them on the back foot again and, and don't let them get their confidence because, you know, it's for them to come over here if they get their confidence going, they're a pretty tough team. After all, they beat us in the pre-season quite convincingly. What sort of consolation would you take from the fact that you came within a, a, a three-pointer of, of, of tying up the game in the last minutes in, in, uh, in Melbourne, didn't play well but still could have won? There's the old cliche, you can, you know, playing badly and, and winning isn't a bad thing for a team. How do you look at it? Do you take some consolation from that, that you could have snuck that game even though you turned the ball over 20 odd times? Yeah the way I look at it is we didn't play well I think they played reasonably well and uh, we still had a chance to win it at the end or tie it up and uh, you know we, we just unfortunately made mistakes at the, at the crucial times at the end uh, when we needed to make plays and well, that's a positive sign knowing that a team's not playing up to how they can play and still be able to nearly win a game against one of the supposed top teams in the competition so you know we can take a lot out of that but at the same time we've got to make sure we, we don't replicate that game and don't play like that again otherwise you know you're going to be on the, the wrong end of, uh, of the at the end of the game. And that's not a good way to, to start a, a run of home games after four on the, on the road, is it? No, we really uh, cherish playing on our home court in front of our home fans and it's become quite a fortress here for visiting teams to come into New Zealand and not too many teams leave here with success and that's exactly how we want to keep it. We want to start on the right foot. Dylan Boucher speaking to Murray Williams for Extra Time. Big news for tennis this week with the five-time Wimbledon champion Venus Williams announced as the draw card at January's Women's Tennis Classic in Auckland. But she'll need a wild card entry. The former world number one and two-time US Open winner has slumped to 104 on the world rankings because of injury and health problems. Venus Williams withdrew from August's US Open suffering from an autoimmune disease which can cause fatigue and joint pain. Radio New Zealand's Stephen Hewson spoke with ASB Classic Tournament Director Richard Palmer. Palmer revealing William's signing is the biggest he's ever managed for the Auckland tournament. You always dream, you start every year looking at every single player of note on the circuit and you approach the agents and you get turned down and turned down and turned down and occasionally you don't get turned down. And this is one instance where the agent said, well, yes, she is interested and we worked something out. So, yeah, absolutely delighted she's coming. How did it unfold? Effectively, uh, I approached the agent, didn't hear anything for a while, and then the agent came back and said she's interested. And then you start talking appearance fees. We have to live within our budget, obviously, and and what we offer has to be acceptable to a player of her profile. And, and I think we, we got a, 
a very, very good arrangement was put in place for both parties, and she's coming down. Her world ranking, she's obviously dropped out of the, the top 100. Yes, she has. It's well documented. She hasn't had a, uh, a stellar year. In fact, she's played very little in, in culminating the diagnosis at the uh, US Open of a, a syndrome. But the good thing was that she'd been having problems and long last she had a diagnosis and she could actually deal with it. So she's dealing with that. She's due to play a couple of exhibition matches in the next two weeks and she's only playing the one tournament before the Australian Open and that's the ASB Classic. Yeah, there's always, with any athlete, there's always a slight risk factor but I think the fact that she's having treatment is going to play those exhibitions and not trying to play two tournaments before the Australian Open suggests that she's very serious about what she's doing. You're confident her health issues won't force her to withdraw? Well, you can't double-guess that sort of thing. I mean, health issues have caused players to withdraw you know, quite frequently from tournaments over time. You hope that doesn't happen. I guess you can argue there is always a, a slight risk that it might, but with the treatment she's having and discussions I've had with the agent, everything seems to be progressing very well. From the point that her agent said that she was interested to having a sign on the dotted line, how, how long did that process take? Probably about three weeks. And appearance fee-wise, I mean, what, what is it costing you? Well, I'm, obviously, I'm not going to dis- disclose what it's costing us, but we're not a, a sport that's ultra-rich, so we have to live within our means, within our budget. And I've managed to do that in securing Venus and have a little bit left over to get one or two other players who will also be of interest. How difficult is it to, I suppose, attract players? Are you finding it more difficult, the, the, um, the financial climate? I mean, how yeah, have things every, changed? Every year has its, has its challenges. Uh, yeah, financially, they're asking for more and more. Uh, I guess everybody is um, in, in most walks of life. So financially, it, it is getting harder to, to, to get your players because they want more money. And as I've said, we've got to live within our means. You know, there's the opposition from you know, Brisbane being upgraded, but in a strange sort of way that in some senses will help us because not everybody wants to go to Brisbane where obviously they're going to have a very strong field. So we can pick up a handful of players that don't want to be in quite a stronger field but are still good players themselves. You know, we're going to end up with a really good field. How has Brisbane affected you? I mean, it was obviously well, announced some time ago and you were prepared for it, but but yeah. the way things have unfolded, you, you mentioned there with, with yeah. some players opting not to go there, have things fallen in the way well, you thought they might have? We won't know fully till the 23rd of November when we announce the full field. So when we announce the full field, you know, we'll know that. But indications are with preliminary entries that you know, we're going to do it actually all right. And it's something we lived with before, before the new two two-level structure of the Women's Tour was put in place. We used to have a number of, we used to have four tiers and, and it was in Gold Coast, they were above us and, and we live with that quite comfortably. So uh, it's really a very similar situation. How do you see Venus fitting in on the, the seedings? Well, she won't be seeded. Her ranking has slipped to about 105, 106, I think, currently. So she'll actually need a wild card. A little odd that you've got, your, your, I suppose, what's going to be your main draw card, needing a wild card. Uh, it's happened, it, it's, not a, it's not unknown. As, you know, if a player has slipped down the rankings because... You know, obvious reasons in her case, she hasn't played a lot this year, so she was defending points and she didn't defend them, so she dropped in the rankings. But it's not unknown. It makes your draw very interesting because when you're doing your draw, you know, you could have Venus Williams against your number one seed. It's quite on the cards that that could happen. So you get a first-round match-up where you're going to lose either your marquee player or your first seed. That, that potentially could happen. Uh, so it makes the doing of the draw very, very interesting. The director of Auckland's Women's Tennis Classic Tournament, Richard Palmer, talking to Stephen Hewson. And finally for this week, a bit of a coup for New Zealand cycling and Hayden Rolston. The national road champion and dual Olympic Games medalist says he'll have the best of both worlds under the terms of his deal with the newly merged Radio Shack Nissan Pro cycling team. 
I spoke with Hayden Ralston just after he arrived in Invercargill for the Tour of Southland, which he's aiming to win for a fifth time. The 30-year-old says he's excited to be rubbing shoulders in his new pro team with some of the sport's greatest names, including Fabian Cancellara and the brothers Andy and Frank Schleck. And most importantly for Ralston, the deal will leave him free to compete for the New Zealand track team and won't affect his bid to ride in next year's London Olympics. Yeah, just come together, just out of the blue, really. Uh, Johan, just Johan Brunel, the managing director, you know, he just rang my manager and, and just went from there. So, um, you know, it's like a we dream come true. And I understand they were pretty keen on getting you as well, which must be a real fill-up for you in general. Yeah, I mean, it's always good. You know, feeling wanted. You know, I mean, this year for me wasn't uh, wasn't the best year I've had. It wasn't bad on the overall scheme of things, but um, I was a little bit disappointed. Just uh, you know, I got a bad injury with the shoulder, and then uh, you know, I was sick quite quite a lot over there. So mentally, it was really tough. But um, you know, I finished the season strong. So you know, to think that I can still sign with the potentially the biggest team in, in the world uh, is definitely good for the head. How will that pan out, do you think? What will your role in the team be, Hayden, do you think? First part of the season, I'll be doing... Um, I'm really employed for the Classics, and that's a series of races that goes for about two months from the start of the season right through to April, uh, two or three months. And uh, that's more Parry Bay, Tour of Flanders, these, these type of races. So um, they are, you know, they're, they're known for bad weather and cobbles and all that sort of stuff. So so that's what I'm mainly employed for. Obviously, the, you know, the season goes, you know, 10 months of the year. And then I'll come out of it every now and again for the Olympics and Olympic build-up and stuff like that for the track. But uh, it's it's you know it's going to be a nice program. Um, I really want to I really want to nail it next year. I'm just I feel I'm in, in a good space and made some changes and, and behind the scenes too to to strengthen up. You know when I compete. So no, all, all's great. Will you be racing in the Tour de France? Uh, I won't be next year just just for the simple fact that the Olympics are beginning of August and uh, all of July will be in track camp. So. You know, that's one sacrifice we had to make, and I'm pretty sure the team will be all right without me. I mean, it's a, it is a star-studded line-up, and uh, there's many guys, you know, chucking their name in the hat for the Tour de France. Well, you'll be a real prospect, one would think, uh, at the London Games, given your silver in the 4,000 and uh, the bronze in the team in Beijing. Yeah, it's a huge goal, you know. Like, I mean, I was so close to gold in, in Beijing, and... Uh, I was back there actually last month and, you know, everything still looked the same and it sort of rekindled the old spark and, you know, I started remembering the feelings I had there and I was just like, you know, I really want to do it. I know exactly what I've got to do to to bear that level. Um, I mean, the sport's evolving and and changing every day, so uh, it's going to require a whole lot of, uh, you know, discipline and and focus and, you know, passion to, to pull me through this big year, but I reckon, you know, now I'm, you know, I'm another year older and, you know, you grow with age, and I just feel it's going to be going to be a good year. So, um, you know, and the chance to, you know, hopefully create a bit of history. At the moment, I'm just gunning for the team pursuit, and uh, you know, I don't, if I've chucked my name in the hat for the for the Omnium Tour, that's a new event that's replaced the events that have been taken out. But that's going to come down to you know, sort of last minute selections type thing. But uh, I'm just going to do everything I can to be in the best shape possible, and and whichever events I ride, I, I you know, the goal is gold. Of course, they've taken the individual pursuit out, haven't they? What do you make of them taking yeah. out the individual pursuit? Oh, well, I think it's a bit of a shame. It's like you know, it's like taking out the 400 meters or the 800 meters in the, on the track, track and field. You know, it's a it was a it was a uh, big event, and now with all the talent coming through, the young riders, I think it would have been a, a huge showdown in London next year. But um, you know, you just got to roll the punches, and you know, they make changes in every sport, and. 
Uh, but I can I can see it coming back in. Um, I think the Olympics this year will still be very exciting, and, and the Omnium is still a great race, you know. So, but yeah, I think it'll come back in. What are these changes that you've been working on behind the scenes to, to strengthen yourself up? Can you sort of detail a little bit of that stuff briefly for us, and in layman's terms, if you could? I've basically uh, got a new coach who's also a very good nutritionist, and uh, and he analyzes all my training data from basically pedal stroke to pedal stroke, so I can I can see exactly what I've been doing. And just real simple things that I've often overlooked regarding nutrition, regarding you know training, and how best to recover from training. It's one one area that I've never actually you know excelled in as a nutrition. I just think you know your body you just train and your body will take care of itself. But I've seen the last three weeks that I've had them, I've just noticed dramatic changes, and uh, you know it's something that um, should have happened a long time ago, but it's better late than ever. Right. Well, moving along, you've got the tour of Southlands. It's starting on Sunday, isn't it? Yeah. Right. This must be a, a, a sort of an interim goal for you. You've won it, what, um, four times already, but surely it's a, a, a big race, on, not just on the New Zealand calendar, but perhaps in your, you know, the year looking ahead to London. Yeah, it's, it's an important race, and I really, you know, a lot of people question why I come back and why I want to, you know, try and win it again, but um, for me, it's, it's coming home and uh, racing and, you know, where my family can see me and you know, the, the, my supporters and, and all this sort of stuff. It's an important race on the New Zealand calendar and, um, you know, I'm, I'm more motivated than ever to, to have a crack at the fifth title. We've got a great team here, strong team throughout. We've got a couple of New Zealand reps, Mark Ryan and Sam Bewley. They'll be both, you know, gunning also for the for the overall. I mean, we've got a, that strong a team throughout that, you know, any one of us could win it. We've also got uh, Jason Allen, who's an ex-New Zealand track rep as well. Jason Christie, young up-and-comer, very, very talented and, and Jeremy Venal, who's been racing out of America. So, you know, we've got a really strong team uh, across the board, and, um, you know, I feel I'm in great shape to have a crack. It's called the Calder Stewart Bike NZ team, so it's actually a national team with a sponsor, isn't it? Is that fair? <laughs> yeah, well, it's not. It's The reason why Bike NZ have to be involved is the simple fact that Sam Bewley and myself, because we're pro tour, uh, we can't actually ride in anything else other than a national team. So it's great that Bike NZ have, have realised that and come on board. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do it without them. And, you know, they did it last year for us but with uh, Greg Henderson and myself. So I guess you can say it's unfair, but you only got to look at the other teams and realise that, uh, you know, they're pretty well stacked as well. There's um, five or six teams of very strong riders throughout the whole team. So, you know, we're one of one of five or six teams that can win. We're not guaranteed to win. We've still got to put it all together on the day uh, and consecutive days. And, and with the changes this year in the Tour of South, and it, 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 it won't be easy. But, um, you know, I feel that we're up for the task. Just briefly, who are some of the uh, top riders who might win it? Um, obviously, you've still got uh, Jeremy Yates. He's riding with Shear the Road. Um, you've got the young boys, George Bennett. You know, he's had a great year overseas. Josh Atkins. And uh, then you've got Clinton Avery, Pure Black. They'll, they'll want to show... They're up to the task as well. They had a great year in the first year overseas. You know, there's some there's some really big teams uh, and good riders, and you know you've got to respect them as much as as uh, they respect us. And you know, cycling's a crazy sport, and not everything goes according to plan sometimes. Hayden Rolston, and FYI, his new coach is Dan Healy. That's the show for this week. Thanks for listening. Feedback is welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz. That's the email address, sport at radionz.co.nz. Remember, you can get the latest sports news anytime on our website, while we'll be back with the next web-only Extra Time show next week. I'm Richard Wayne. Bye for now.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 